0: Hello and welcome to Age Well with Dr. Sophie Schotter. I'm your host, Fiona Mattesini, and on this episode, we're talking about the eyes. From dark circles and wrinkles to healthcare, hormones, hacks, and what to do if you want to sort out those pesky bags under the eyes, we even have some brilliant insights about a couple of lesser-known supplements. Have a listen.
1: They're the only dietary carotenoids that you find at the back of the retina, mostly around the macular region. So really essential for your vision. And so supplementing these can really help with enhancing sharpness, improving your visual contrast, reducing glare, helping to protect the eyes from sun. The list goes on.
0: Dr. Sophie also makes a strong case for not heading straight for the injectables.
1: It's not as simple as to walk in and say, I've got lines around my eyes, I'd like to have some wrinkle relaxing injections, please.
0: We also chat about some of the latest tech and treatments specifically for the eyes.
1: On clinical studies, it gives an average of three to four millimeters of lift, which is not insignificant.
0: And we spin off into some really interesting discussion points when it comes to what Sophie sees in clinic.
1: Very often we can tell straight up. One of the most common giveaways in actual fact is if someone has a very heavily lined forehead
0: thank you so much for listening and do remember sophie has some terrific reels content and prizes over on her social so head off and find her on insta and on tiktok at dr sophie Shutter. for now this is the episode that's all about the eyes Right, the eyes episode. And Sophie, just like on our skincare episode last year, I do have a bit of a shopping list of different things to ask you. So can we talk about both the causes and the possible treatments for various eye issues? I think starting off firstly with what about crow's feet? So those are those lines and wrinkles around the sides of our eyes, aren't they? Do you know we
1: really give the most flattering names to features of our face, don't we? I mean, crow's feet lines. But Horrible. yes, that's exactly what they are. They are the lines that appear around the corners of our eyes when we smile or when we laugh. And Really, when we're looking at how to treat them, we have to consider what's causing them because of course there's muscle action going on because when we're smiling, when we're laughing, we have this sort of circular muscle around the eye, which is squeezing inwards and that's part of what causes the lines to form. But... Mm. We have that even when we're teenagers. So what is different about crow's feet lines as we age? And it's partly to do with the fact that we lose volume and, of course, also to do with skin integrity. So for many, many patients, the vast majority, it's useful to really think about Muscle relaxation. So, thinking about small muscle relaxing injections just to soften that muscle movement that's causing them. But mm-hmm. then we often need to add other things like skin boosters, which we can inject more superficially to improve the quality of the skin. That could be things like polynucleotides, it could be things like viscoderm, hydrobooster. And then in some cases, also thinking about facial fillers a bit more deeply into the cheek because crow's feet lines are often made a little bit worse by volume loss in the cheek. Mm-hmm. And then we can also throw devices into the equation to improve. And we can use things like ultrasound, microneedling and certain types of laser to help treat the skin changes as well.
0: hmm hearing you talk just goes to reinforce the fact and we have said this before it's so important to go to somebody that knows what they're doing because it's such a delicate area all around it and of course the eyes exactly and it's not as simple as
1: to walk in and say I've got lines around my eyes I'd like to have some wrinkle relaxing injections please because we actually really need to look at you examine you and diagnose what's causing those lines so Mm. that we can then come up with the right treatment plan for you because what's right for someone else might not be right for you
0: yeah exactly so what about um here's one for me bags under the eyes now bags under
1: the eyes can mean an awful lot of different things (laughs) so some people refer to under-eye bags as puffiness. Some people Mm -hmm. refer to them as what I call true eye bags, which is to do with the fat pads and the structure of them changing as we age. So if Mm -hmm. we start by focusing on those, as we get older, we lose bone in the face and and the bone gives tension to all of the soft tissues that overlie it. So as we Mm -hmm. age, that tension becomes less so all of us within our eye socket have fat pads which sit there within the eye socket and in youth those fat pads are held in place by the overlying muscle the same one as i just talked about that we can relax Mm. to treat crow's feet lines but Mm. then as the tension in that muscle decreases as we age So, those fat pads are sometimes not held as snugly as they used to be, and they can pop out against the surface Mm -hmm. of the skin, giving the appearance of eye bags. So, this is why so many people come for eye bag treatment and say things like, you know, I've tried every eye cream under the sun, and it just doesn't do anything. And that's because this really is about deeper, more underlying structures. Now, Mm -hmm. Hyaluronic acid fillers can be useful, although it's much more complex than just treating the area around the eye. What we really need to do is go for quite an extensive approach that aims to restore that tension in the muscle. But for many people, surgery is the best option. Surgery around the eyes can be such high impact and really change the messaging of the face. Mm. So it's something that I think is really useful. Of course, if people want to avoid it, then we'll look at a combination treatment plan, maybe using softwave ultrasound treatment together with facial fillers. And even on the simplest level, if you do things like using a cold eye mask that you've kept in the fridge or the freezer, or cold spoons. And some people talk about things like tea bags or cucumber slices. All of that can decrease puffiness. So although it won't fix the actual eye bag, it can make it look less puffy.
0: When you talk about some of these sort of fat pads herniating through and giving the appearance of eye bags, does the filler then work around that so that basically you're adding volume around those bags or is it the case of the filler will break down the eye bags no in fact neither if you were to inject around the eye bags it usually
1: won't look very good the whole Mm. aim with when we use facial fillers is to treat within the cheeks and the temples and often treating multiple layers of the face so that we restore that tension in the orbicularis oculi muscles so that we can actually improve the eye bag. And then any filler that we place actually around the tear trough area will aim to be minimal. Mm. And again, with the aim of restoring volume in that area rather than to try and mask an eye bag. Yeah. Okay. And does more sleep help or
0: is that an old
1: wives tale? When we don't sleep enough, we do get puffier. So as we're asleep, we subconsciously micro blink our eyes that can help to drain fluid so a lack of Mm. sleep does cause puffiness so again it can make eye bags appear worse and that puffy face look is a common thing Mm. after you've not had enough sleep.
0: Mm. Which sort of leads me on to number three when it comes to the eyes dark circles that's this is again one I'm always trying to mitigate.
1: Yeah and again it's one that we throw a lot of things under one heading with dark circles and it can happen for so many different reasons things like chronic eye rubbing or if you've got prominent blood vessels underneath the skin some Mm. people have genetic predispositions there can be hormone effects around the eyes that cause skin darkening or even true pigmentation so Mm. It isn't really about sleep, it's about any of these different factors. And again, really trying to understand what's going on is the key to getting good results. And I guess last but not least is the complicating factor that as we lose volume around the under eye, it's usually in a region we call the tear trough that Mm -hmm. can also cause dark circles because it casts a shadow where the volume loss is because Mm -hmm. you have this Mm -hmm. hill valley hill effect. So Mm -hmm. you really need to understand, is it blood vessels showing through? Is it volume loss or is it pigmentation? What is Mm -hmm. it that's causing the dark circle? So if we start with eye cream, especially if we're talking about pigmentation, useful things are vitamin C, sometimes kojic acid, which we've talked about before. It's a mushroom related ingredient. Mm -hmm. And niacinamide can also be great for brightening. And I'm a big fan of a bespoke retinoid for the eye area at nighttime, especially this is really useful if we're looking to thicken up the skin a little bit and maybe reduce how much blood vessels show through.
0: Do you use a special, I'm imagining you do use a, a separate retinoid for your eye I area? I do, yeah.
1: We have to remember the the eye area is the skin
0: there is thin and delicate. And
1: if you put the retinoid that you use on the rest of your face around your eyes, it's very likely to cause irritation and possibly not just around the eye, but within the eye. Yes. And I guess it's also important to remember that we shouldn't forget makeup because There's a lot that you can do with makeup, even if you're not a pro makeup artist. But Mm. a color correct is a great place to start. I know there's a famous palette that Bobbi Brown has Mm. that's a bit of a cult favorite. And then using a concealer that's the same color as your skin and definitely around the eye area a less is more approach with concealer because you don't want a cakey dry look which can make the eyes look older than they are Mm, yeah I second that and if it comes to actual treatments we can look at a few different things when it's blood vessels there are some great lasers around that can help with treating blood vessels around the under eye Types of mesotherapy, we use one called Light Eyes Ultra, which can really help with puffiness as well as improving dark circles and fine lines and wrinkles. Mm -hmm. Then tear troughs, which can really help to treat the shadows caused by hollowing around the eye area. And Mm -hmm. even some types of chemical peel can be extremely useful. And as I said above, just thinking about in some patients, a surgical referral is worthwhile.
0: And would you say, I mean, you've already said that's the gold standard and it makes sense. It usually is surgery, isn't it? For most things. What would you say would be the second best, or or perhaps a better question is, what do you see best results in your clinic?
1: It just really depends on the cause. So I can't just say a single treatment because also most of us need a combination. But what we have to remember is there are many patients who are treatable without surgery. And so. It's important to consider a few things because if someone is thinking they may have surgery in the future, we do need to think carefully about what treatments we do for someone so that we don't cause them problems for surgery in the future. Mm -hmm. But say the first signs of aging starts throughout our 30s and more dramatically in our 40s if someone were to go and have a facelift in their early 40s, when they first start noticing issues, and some people Mm. do that, then they're likely to need a second one in their 50s, which is already becoming more complicated. And then when they're in their 60s, they're not usually going to stop caring about how they look and that's when they might be thinking about a third one and each progressive Mm. one becomes more and more complicated so I'm a big fan of surgery and patients who are willing to consider it at the right stage and when they need it but for many patients there are great non-surgical
0: options I'm still getting over people having a facelift in their 40s, but uh, I suppose if people have the money. I've heard people having them as 40th birthday presents, so yeah. Oh my goodness me. Wow. Okay. <laughs> it's incredible, isn't it? Okay. What about when you wake up? Um, not you personally, maybe you don't, but Sometimes. Really eyes. We all do sometimes. Sometimes. Okay. <laughs> it's reassuring. I certainly do. Um, or if I've been watching a weepy movie that night and I go to bed and I wake up with really puffy eyes because of crying. Yeah. What couldn't be done there?
1: Do you know, there's so many things that can cause it. And if you know you're prone to puffiness, it's worth thinking about what your triggers are. Tiredness, stress, dehydration, which might sound counterintuitive because you're thinking, fluid around the eyes but if you're dehydrated Mm -hmm. you're more likely to leak fluid out of your blood vessels sun damage drinking too much alcohol eating salty foods is a really common one and for Mm -hmm. some people it's also related to seasonal allergies Mm -hmm. things like hay fever so even just aging as we get older the muscles tend to relax, they're looser, like we talked about, this tension. And so they don't tend to be as effective as helping our lymphatic vessels to drain fluid from the eye area. Mm -hmm. And so we can just generally be more prone to puffiness. I think... In addition to, we talked about simple home hacks like cold spoons or cucumber slices or tea bags, which have been chilled. But there are also, we talked about in our home gadgets episode, like jade rollers or gua sha Mm. can be really good. And eye creams that have caffeine in can also be useful because caffeine is a vasoconstrictor, which means it causes the blood vessels to contract under the skin and so can temporarily reduce puffiness around the eyes. But for me, first and foremost is thinking about what's really causing it. And as with everything I say, addressing that lifestyle factor if you can.
0: Yeah, yeah, they go hand in hand. So do you have one eye cream that you use, if so, which you've probably already told us, but if you can remind us, or do you use a retinoid eye cream and then another eye cream? Exactly. So I have a couple. Yeah, good. <laughs> so
1: <laughs> I love the Revision DEJ eye cream. It's amazing. That's kind of a really good all-round Eye cream that helps to support the junction between the dermis and the epidermis. I mm-hmm. also love the Skin Better Science IMAX, which is the retinoid eye cream that I use. And on top of that, I have the Revox Line Relaxer or the Mida Myofix, one or the other. And they're mm-hmm. both peptide based products and they're just brilliant for helping. You know those tiny little wrinkles around the eye area which are muscle action but just attached immediately under the skin I think those peptide based products can be so helpful for those.
0: Yeah and do you layer them as you've just said in that order.
1: No I would put the peptide product on first and then the yeah. cream on top of it. Yeah okay brilliant
0: noted. <laughs> Does it make a difference
1: in terms of how we sleep? So sleeping on your back is generally regarded as the best position to be in. And if we're thinking about it from an eye and a puffiness angle a lot of the time if you sleep on one side you'll wake up and that side of your face will be slightly more swollen and puffy than the other one and mm. if you face sleep you'll wake up with a squished face <laughs> and it's often quite puffy now if you struggle with back sleeping then there are some really good pillows around like the envy pillow mm. it allows you to side sleep but in a position that relieves
0: pressure Okay, noted. We'll put that in the show notes as well. What about if somebody's eyes are a bit sunken? First of all, if this is,
1: especially if this is a more sudden change, it can be a sign of an underlying medical condition. So always think about health first. And so if you're noticing something like that changing, it's worth seeing Mm. your GP as a first port of call. And I would say Mm. particularly so if one side is much more sunken than the other. Mm -hmm. but aesthetically if we're happy that this is just a hollowing that's happening with aging we can use some very delicate sprinkles of hyaluronic acid fillers to add volume and reduce that shadowing and when we're talking about around the upper eyelid as well we call it a-frame filler Usually in most people relatively little downtime and results can last one to two years but this is a complex area to treat so just make sure you're in the hands of of an expert.
0: Yeah, and actually, I would also stress the importance of regular eye tests because my husband—he hadn't been for quite a while. He went last year, and he was—they called him back within a few days, and something had come unattached at the back. Yeah, and he had to have emergency laser treatment. Wow. And if they had, yeah, then if they hadn't done a whole, full on proper test, they would never have seen it. And there, was, and if not, things could have gone quite awry. So yes, I know we're going to get onto that, but I just have to say that while I remember, have your eyes tested. What about, how would you treat really droopy eyebrows or eyelids?
1: If we're going in here with really droopy eyebrows or eyelids, then I'm going to have to start off with talking about surgery because with anything non-surgical, a ceiling to what we can achieve. And if you've got significant drop in that area, it can even cause functional problems. So for example, some people have such severe laxity in this area that their eyelid skin is folded on top of their eyelashes and surgery for patients not even with that extent of laxity, but with a more severe extent will be dramatic. It Mm. doesn't necessarily just mean a blepharoplasty. So blepharoplasty is where the eyelid itself is treated. And in this situation, we're talking about the upper blepharoplasty. But for Mm. many patients, it can also mean a brow lift. And there are a variety of different techniques and an expert surgeon will advise you what will be best for you but Mm. when we have really droopy eyelids or eyebrows that's going to be the route i'm going to recommend but when we're talking about slightly more moderate here combination treatments come in Mm. for me softwave so ultrasound it uses parallel beam ultrasound really is impressive around the eye and the brow area on clinical studies it gives an average of three to four millimeters of lift which is not wow. insignificant
0: no,
1: no no and then if we combine that with other things like muscle relaxing injections so The reason these can work to lift the eye is when we frown, we pull our brow muscles down. And the same when we smile, we pull those brow muscles down. So actually, if you relax those muscles, you can get a subtle one to two millimeter of lift, which works really quite nicely. And again, going back to filler to restore tension, this can involve sometimes a bit of forehead treatment, the cheek, the temple, and sometimes within the brow itself we can achieve a nice support for the eye area that makes, again, a not insignificant difference.
0: Okay. And what about thread lifts?
1: So, thread lifts are something I personally don't perform. And thread lifts involve the placement of sometimes resorbable, which is temporary, and sometimes Mm -hmm. non-resorbable sutures into the face to lift specific structures. Now, as part of the British College of Aesthetic Medicine, we audit complications from doctors across the country, and we know that threadlifts are associated with more problems. Mm-hmm. I have a couple of great colleagues who do a lot of threadlifts. It's the bread and butter of their daily practice. Mm-hmm. And for me, the bread and butter of my daily practice is other procedures. So mm-hmm. I would personally prefer that if I think I have a patient who is a candidate for a threadlift, that I refer them on to a colleague who is a true expert in. That procedure, I think they have their place, but it's a niche and it has to be done by someone who knows what they're doing because the risks of these are not insignificant.
0: Yeah, yeah. What about if somebody has a muscle relaxing treatment around the eye area or the forehead, and they have arched sort of—I think so—their eyelids actually disappear? Mm. Can anything be done with either of those two? Yes and no. So spocking
1: is relatively easy to fix and it's the one that many people worry about because it can give this very arched surprised look and Mm -hmm. that's relatively easy to fix so just make sure you go back for an appointment with your injector and they should be able to address that relatively easily by using a small drop of muscle relaxant in the forehead above each eyebrow to just relax that Muscle that's pulling a bit too aggressively. And it's usually actually caused by treatment in the forehead. So, actually, that's the most common spot that's causing it. So, maybe not quite enough, or not quite wide enough. So, Ah, some people stay too narrow within the forehead, and it can happen to anyone. But it's important to look at also that the movement at the sides of the forehead in a patient. And if someone gets heavy, that's very tricky. Mm. This usually comes from over-treating the forehead. And sometimes there are warning signs that a patient isn't the best candidate for treatment to their forehead. And that instead you should accept having a few lines and wrinkles that run horizontally and focus on lifting rather than being rid of all of the wrinkles. But of course, that's not something every patient wants to hear. So, Mm. unfortunately, if someone has a heavy forehead, it can be very difficult to reverse and it's usually a matter of patience.
0: And would you know at a first consultation if they weren't right for that or is it a case of if they have a heaviness afterwards? that's how you know.
1: Very often we can tell straight up. So one of the common giveaways in actual fact is if someone has a very heavily lined forehead. If you think about it, those patients are often ones who come in and ask about treatment. But often if you're naturally heavy on the eyebrows and the eyelids, you raise your eyebrows a lot. It's a natural Mm. thing we do to keep our eyes more open. So the moment I take away your ability to do that as effectively through... Muscle relaxation, you become heavy. So, one of the easiest things to look out for is patients with heavier forehead lines.
0: Mm, interesting. Can we talk about how hormones impact the eyes? Yeah, I mean, hormones impact every single tissue in the body. And
1: this is why their effects are so far reaching. As mm. estrogen levels change, it can. Just as it affects the elasticity of the skin, it can also affect the elasticity of the cornea in the eyes. So that's the clear layer on the front of the eye. And that can have an impact on our eyesight. And that's also why a lot of ophthalmologists or eye doctors won't recommend you get laser surgery or new glasses prescribed whilst you're pregnant because of Mm. the fact that oestrogen plays such a big role oestrogen and progesterone also help to regulate the oil glands in the eyes so this is really important for helping keep our eyes moist so Mm. as the levels of those hormones change we can get dry eyes and there are some interesting things that are being done with that now insulin A lot of people know about this because it helps to regulate blood sugar levels. But Mm -hmm. fluctuations in blood sugar also affect the retina at the back of the eyes, which is why it's Mm -hmm. really important for diabetics to get their eyes checked regularly. Mm -hmm. And last but most definitely not least is thyroid hormones which can cause huge impacts around the eye areas they can impact on the muscles that support the eyes and also control the fine movements they can cause the eyes to become misaligned or to develop double vision and you can also get something called proptosis which is where the eye sort of bulge outwards somewhat so Mm -hmm. hormones can cause lots of eye issues
0: Crikey. Hormones again. And in fact, my eyesight changed radically from my mid-40s, really. Do you find that a lot of your perimenopausal clients talk about changes in their eyesight?
1: Absolutely. And for most women in their 40s, the most common issue is something called presbyopia, which is as the eyes gradually lose their ability to focus on nearby objects. So Mm. that's why people often start needing reading glasses. But it's also important to remember that some serious eye conditions will start to show up most commonly between the ages of 40 and 70. And I'm thinking about things like glaucoma, cataracts, age-related macular degeneration, and various types of retinopathy. And certainly over time, many of these diseases can be really serious. So it's best to address them In the same way as everything, preventatively as much as you can nowadays, which can help to preserve as much vision as possible. So for me, I test regularly, again, an important investment in your health at least every two years. And for some people more regularly, it depends on you. Mm -hmm. And also, I think it's about paying attention to our eyes. So often we take it for granted. We don't really think about it, but so many diseases have eye manifestations. So when we look at the back of an eye, we can see signs of blood pressure or diabetes. We can Mm -hmm. see swelling of the optic nerve in patients with brain tumours sometimes, And certainly if the eyes are the windows to the soul, (laughs) um, then the optic nerves are the windows to your central nervous system and your Mm -hmm. pupils are the windows to your autonomic nervous system. So we have so much that we can see about someone and their health and their emotional state when we look at their eyes.
0: Yeah. And as you say, it's something we often don't, we we don't look at them properly, do we? No,
1: we take it for granted until something really obvious shows up. And I, I remember I was still working in the NHS, so we're going back over 10 years now. And I just happened to notice just this little black speck floating in my vision. And Mm -hmm. I was lucky because I was still working in hospital. One of the ophthalmologists slotted me in and had a little bit of a look. And what seems likely is that during quite an intense exercise class, I'd just developed this tiny little thing called a posterior vitreous detachment that didn't need anything doing about it. But Mm. I did notice. And it's those little changes that so often you just,
0: it's easy to brush off and ignore. You've just reminded me actually, I'm surprised, I forgot this one. I banged my head. I was in London somewhere in the morning and thought nothing of it. And quite a long time, a few hours later, maybe in the next day, I think it was that night, my eye was full of blood vessels. It was really scary. And the team were great at A&E. And they said, yeah, this happens. It's a delayed reaction to um, what seems to be quite an innocuous bang of the head. Yeah. We take it for granted, don't we? Absolutely. In terms of gadgets, I mean, I'd feel weird about using an at-home gadget on my eyes, but is there anything we should talk about? Anything at all that you'd flag up? I think most
1: of the things we've covered, really, in terms of, as we said, in the our at-home gadgets, we talked a bit about Gua Sha, Jade Rollers. I think these are great. Some people do love microcurrent for an at-home treatment. And if I'm going to recommend any device, it's going to be the Halo, which is Mm -hmm a nice little device to use and it can give a temporary lift around the eye area. Mm -hmm. And I guess also another thing we can say is the power of YouTube. So first of all, you'll find some great videos on gua sha for around the eye. But you'll Mm -hmm. also find that some yoga teachers have uploaded eye yoga exercises and you'll find that some lymphatic drainage specialists, so Flavia Morilato, for example, I know she's uploaded videos on eye lymphatic drainage. So Mm -hmm. there can be a wealth of good tools there as well but it's important to remember that the eye area really is delicate (laughs) Mm. so don't do anything that can jeopardize your ability to blink or to close the eye those are both so important for maintaining eye health so just be very careful
0: yeah okay we've already covered skincare lotions and potions is there anything else you want to add to that in terms of what you use favorite eye creams you've mentioned anything else or anything in terms of what we should be looking for
1: well, first of all, I guess so many people question, oh, do I really need a separate eye cream? But it's important to remember that the skin on, around the eyes is about 40% thinner than on the rest of the face. So it behaves differently. And so a dedicated mm. product for that area does make sense. Many of us are also far less good at applying sunscreen around the eye area. So it's more prone to environmental damage. Mm. And when we're applying products to the eye area, We have to think that any product we apply is going to spread about a centimeter from where we apply it. So Mm -hmm. it's not uncommon for some of that product to end up in your eye, even though you've not actually put it there, which is why you might find you get some stinging after application of certain products. And so a product that's been developed specifically for the eye area is far less likely to have a detrimental effect if that happens there are sunscreens specifically for the eye area often these are going to be mineral because some chemical eye sunscreens can be a bit stingy if they run into the eyes Mm -hmm. and again in the mornings just thinking about the ingredients in an eye cream if something has vitamin c in it that's going to make your sunscreen more effective but i really do think it's worth investing in a dedicated product
0: Yeah. Okay. And thank you for giving us uh, the lowdown on some of your favorites, which again, we will put in the show notes because I know that people love to know what you use. Um, What about diet and supplements? So supplements, diet and, and
1: the eye health are so, so interesting. This goes back a really long way in terms of some of the research and data. So one study showed that vitamin E, can help to reduce cataract onset. So you can find vitamin E not just in supplements, but it's in foods like salmon, seeds and nuts and leafy green vegetables as well. Mm -hmm. There's Mm -hmm. also quite a lot of studies on B vitamins and specifically B12, B9 and B6, which can play a role in age-related macular degeneration. B1, again, Mm -hmm. can help to slow down the rate of development of cataracts. Omega-3 fish oils, brilliant for helping to treat dry eyes. Um, Mm. So again, it helps the production of that healthy tear film. Something that a lot of people might not have heard of is something called lutein. It's an antioxidant. And lutein and zeaxanthin they're the only dietary carotenoids that you find at the back of the retina and usually mostly around the macular region so really essential for your vision and so supplementing these can really help with enhancing sharpness improving your visual contrast reducing glare Helping to protect the eyes from sun. The list goes on. Mm
0: -hmm. These
1: things that we've just talked about, most of them I'm already on, but not specifically for my eyes. Although it's great to know that I'm um, helping to minimize my risks of developing these things. And I guess one more thing we should touch on is iron deficiency, because that is a health condition that can make dark circles more obvious. So, again, focusing on foods with iron and B12 can help to reduce the appearance of dark circles.
0: Great, thank you. And we'll link into a bunch of studies that have been shown to help with various things to do with eye health I should really ask, can carrots really help you see in the dark? (laughs) So this myth, actually, it goes back to World War II, and it was
1: started deliberately by the RAF. So they were trying to claim that this is why their pilots could make such accurate hits when they were flying at night, when in actual fact they had radar but didn't want their enemies to know about it. So vitamin A can help eye health, and it's also found abundantly in carrots, but Eating that many carrots isn't going to automatically give you better vision. It's really fascinating when you understand where it's come from.
0: Yeah. If I was on a pub quiz team, I'd want you on my team because that's a great fact. (laughs) Uh, I never knew that. That's brilliant. So finally, apart from everything else we've mentioned, or in addition to, what is the best way of looking after our eyes? A lot of it is boring, but essential. It's the things we talk about with so much
1: eating a healthy, balanced diet, exercising regularly and sleeping properly. All of these give us the foundational care that we need to function properly, to recover properly, that we get optimal nutrient and blood flow to the eye area. Regular eye tests, as I mentioned. So for most people, it's starting off at about every two years and some people it might be more regularly. Mm-hmm. If you've got dry eyes, use eye drops. Better to be proactive and use them more regularly so that the fluid levels stay topped Mm. up. There are various different brands. And then there are also now there's a laser treatment that's been developed for treatment of dry eye, which I think is really interesting as well. Some people also use warm eye compresses, and that can also be, interestingly, a useful treatment if you're prone to styes. So those kind of warm eye compresses as mm, well. Mm. A big one is to think about screen time. People tend to look at their screens really close and that can give eye strain. And of course, it's also emitting blue light. So thinking about, I have blue light filters on my devices, which I think really helps with that as well. There's also an interesting fact of that there's been an increase in myopia in children since COVID. So that's being nearsighted. And they think it's because of the increased screen time that children had. Wow. And so it's something to bear in mind. And the last thing, do you wear sunglasses? And I mean, I'm a big fan of polarized lens sunglasses, but the exposure to UV rays really does contribute to a lot of different eye-related, age-related eye conditions and aging of the eye area. You'll find me wearing my
0: sunglasses
1: just as much in winter as I do in summer
0: that's really interesting and as is the thing on COVID because we see young kids a lot on their screens, don't we? And it has to be having an impact and I'm just looking as I'm talking to you I've got my eye drops because my since my 40s my eyes have got very dry so I always recommended Haikazan because it's preservative-free yeah. so mention mentioned that one. So amazing. I, I could end with some really cheesy lines about how this was an enlightening chat <laughs> and seeing it all really clearly now. By, <laughs> I think I'll just wrap up with another very genuine thank you for just helping us understand understand. Quite a niche area of of aesthetics, as you say, and, and generally in healthcare. Thank you, Sophie. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you, Fee. Our podcast. If you want to explore more of what we talked about, simply head to the show notes. We've done all of the research and noting down of names, ideas, any studies we mentioned so you don't have to go digging. To be ahead of the latest episode, press follow on Apple Podcasts. That's the little cross on the top right. Or simply hit follow on Spotify or whichever podcast app you use. Also, do follow Sophie on Instagram and TikTok. There's loads of great content and little explainers on there. Search for Dr. Sophie Schotter. Finally, if you're close to London or Kent, you can book a consultation with Sophie and find out more about who she is and the range of treatments and services she offers via drsophieschotter.com. And by the way, there's some great blog content on the website too. My name's Fiona Mattesini. On behalf of myself and Sophie, please do take a moment to rate and review the show. It all helps. And of course, thanks for listening.